I'm William Law, and you're listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today is Dr. Alanoud Al Sharik. She's the director of Ibtikar Strategic Consultancy. Dr. Al Sharik is an author and academic, and an associate fellow at the Chatham House MENA Region Program. Her latest publication is called Lover Country A Difficult Choice for Women in Kuwait, published by Arabian Humanities. Alanoud founded and chairs Abolish 153 a campaign to end honor killings in Kuwait and the region. She's speaking to us from Kuwait City, and our conversation today is about social media influencers, a subject that she has done seminal research on over several years. Alanoud, welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. Pleasure to be here, Bill. Thank you for having me. Social media influencers uh, in the Gulf and the wider MENA region, is their influence greater than in countries and societies with more free and independent traditional media? Well, Bill, I think we're talking about uh, two different things here. First, the influence of social media itself in general, which I think has been huge precisely because of what you just said, Uh, the lack of public spaces for debate, the lack of access to um, forums and, uh, you know, newspaper editors, etc. It was a very controlled space prior to the onset of social media. So social media itself has been hugely influential in terms of introducing uh, this ability to to interact and to share to uh, large uh, swaths of the population in um, the Gulf and the greater Arab world. The Gulf is unique because we we have uh, more modern networks, and we we also have, I think, the greatest mobile penetration, which means that people in the Gulf tend to be early adopters of these new platforms, and they tend to be among the highest users. But as you, you know, spread out from the Gulf to the wider Arab world, you, you find that also a lot of people are engaged in different platforms. So... Uh, where Twitter and Instagram are really popular in the Gulf, you'll find that Facebook is more popular in Egypt and uh, parts of the Levant. And they they also tend to attract different uh, demographics. Influencers naturally became a big part of this formula, especially in uh, countries like uh, like the GCC, where you have a lack of, uh, let's say, an an indigenous film industry. I mean, it's there, but it's pledging. They've sort of replaced reality stars. So if it's like the Kim Kardashian phenomena, but also there are people who speak about politics, about business. So they've they've taken citizen journalism to to another level. And um, they've been, uh, I think, hugely influential in terms of certain uh, social trends and taboos. The the first wave of uh, bloggers online, they, they use pseudonyms and they rarely use their pictures. Uh, and then as social media became more visual, you see people using their real names and their pictures. And this broke a lot of uh, taboo, uh, especially for women, uh, because before it was, uh, you know, considered uh, unacceptable to to have uh, your pictures shared openly, and now people share their most intimate moments. But I would say that their influence is waning as people become 
more sophisticated in how they deal with social media. So people are aware right now that there are paid ads, they're aware that there are governmental influences in promoting certain um, trends that influencers support, uh, you know, not so much the political conversations, uh, but more tourism oriented or fashion, etc. So I would say in general, their influence is waning, but it's still a very interesting space. In a region where young people felt that their voices were not being heard, there wasn't a space for them to socialize, to talk, to share ideas, no space really for them to speak openly, the internet became that space and and the influencers really jumped on that opportunity themselves, didn't they? Yes, it gave certain influencers uh, particular niches. Uh, whether it's a health influencer or a fashion influencer or uh, just, uh, you know, uh, people who are providing comedic political commentary, they they really changed the market and changed the quality of the conversation. But then influencers take it to the, to the next level. And when, when we speak of influencers, we have to break down exactly who they're influencing. Uh, you know, Generation S, the smartphone generation, 25 and under, they mostly get their their news and their, uh, you know, tutorials uh, on makeup, on fashion. They they, uh, form their worldviews mostly from influencers on YouTube and on Instagram, Snapchat and others. So they're still very influential on people 25 and and under. uh, But This type of of influence also varies from platform to platform and from region to region uh, in the greater MENA area and the Arab world. Yeah, and I'm wondering, too, the scope for political conversations. I mean, you mentioned in the beginning that that people were not using photographs. They were were anonymous uh, or using uh, other names than their uh, real names. Has this scope for political commentary diminished? Or is it still there, uh, particularly I'm thinking of the Gulf, but also in the wider Middle East? When uh, sharing on uh, social media apps was novel, people really used this as a political space. Uh, and there was a much higher tolerance for criticism online. In fact, it was uh, I think it was a novel experience for both people and the government. Uh, the government w- wasn't used to interacting with people without having a buffer or uh, intermediary, whether it was an MP or it was, you know, the sheikh of a a tribe or it was the the elite diwaniyas. So it it was was a kind of unfiltered response. And at the same time, people weren't used to, to having their opinions matter or having a platform where they can share their opinions with uh, hundreds of locals and people from the region and an international audience. So people tended, I would say, to to overshare and to be very critical politically. And then this space became tighter and more controlled during the Arab Spring. And after the Arab Spring, the electronic crime laws and and the the ceiling on what can be discussed politically came down dramatically because of these new laws. So uh, I'll give you an example uh, from Kuwait. Not only were the 
the kind of the, the laws that were in effect offline brought into the online space, which limited interactions. But also there were new parameters. For example, uh, you can't be critical of a country that Kuwait has friendly relationships with. And, and this can be a punishable offense. And, and people have been um, jailed because of it. So this Kuwait is friendly with a lot of countries. So it, it really narrows what kind of conversations you can have or commentary about what's happening uh, in the region and not just just in Kuwait. Yes, and, and influencers who do stray into political criticism, they are, as you said, dealt with quite harshly, but also breaking norms. I'm thinking here of the Saudi LGBTQ activist Suel El-Jamil, uh, and there are others uh, in, in that community who have paid a heavy price, haven't they? I, I don't know a lot about uh, this particular case, but when I looked it up, uh, I think it was relative to new laws that were passed in Saudi Arabia to do with uh, public decency and what men and women are allowed to wear in public spaces. And there's this consideration that what you share uh, in a public social media is considered a public space. So this is another example of offline laws coming into the online space. And uh, people may not be as fast to catch up that uh, this is actually enforceable by law. But it, it, social media has been a, a godsend for a lot of uh, the, the more vulnerable and marginalized communities because they have uh, lack of access, uh, lack of resources, and you know this nexus of sexuality and, and age it, this is all disempowering traditionally, but because of social media, they don't need ambassadors anymore. And so where traditionally the Duaneas or the Mejlis was the place where um, the, the government would, would do a litmus test to, about public policies, the online space and young people online made the government have to uh, recognize these disenfranchised uh, groups. And, and online space became the litmus test and not these kind of uh, uh, establishment uh, zones like the, the typical uh, Duania and, and Medjilis, which were for uh, a, a certain uh, like socioeconomic background male uh, perspective. So the area for debate and for bringing uh, these, uh, let's say, uh, hidden or uh, undiscussed issues to the limelight grew exponentially with the move online. Uh, recently in Kuwait, we've had a discussion to do with um, uh, a young transgender woman called Mahal Mtiri, who claimed to be abused uh, and, and raped. And this started a huge movement not only to free her and uh, uh, speak more openly about the rights of, of these uh, communities, but also to, to seek to abolish uh, a law that was, that was passed in haste a few years ago that has a very vague description of copying the look of uh, the other sex. So you, if you copy the look of men, or if you copy the look of women and, and you belong to the opposite gender, then, then you can be persecuted by law. And what was interesting is that uh, men from 
the religious establishment stepped into the debate and started to speak about uh, the LGBTQ community and uh, what rights and, and how, uh, you know, they, they shouldn't be uh, harmed because of their sexuality. But, but it, it, there was a lot of movement and a lot of exposure to topics that most people uh, shy away from. Of, of course, there was, uh, which is an unfortunate side effect of uh, the openness online. There was a lot of trolling and there was a lot of uh, hateful language as well. But it's all, always more empowering to bring these topics out into the light than, than to speak about them behind closed doors. The, the number of influencers who are women in otherwise strongly patriarchal societies is remarkable, isn't it? And, and I'm just wondering how we should read their influence, the influence of these young women who are in many cases marketing cosmetics or fashion apparel. How should we read that? Well, um, there's, I think, I think that, uh, it can be a polarizing issue. So for uh, the first wave of these women, they were documented uh, academically and written about uh, the hijabistas. Uh, they, they not only influenced uh, young women in, in the area in terms of uh, modest fashion, but they also influenced uh, uh, Muslims and Arabs in the diaspora. Uh, in, in as far as uh, uh, America and Asia. So, so they were hugely influential and they were empowering in their own way in that they brought modest fashion to the light and they used their names and their image to create an income stream for them uh, that, that didn't exist before. But uh, at the same time, there is this increasing worry that focusing solely on beauty further fetishizes a woman in a space that is still segregated and still leaning more to, to their being in the domestic side and to their value being interlinked with their beauty. So this is not a message that a lot of women are happy about because it seems to be diminishing the spotlight on women who are breaking ceilings in the corporate world or in the governments, etc. But those stories are naturally not going to attract as large an audience as stories to do with fashion and makeup, etc. So the hope is that both will be uh, getting enough coverage and enough fans it's natural that people are attracted to things that are lighter rather than things that are more serious. But they've, they've broken a lot of barriers, a lot of social barriers that existed before these uh, fashionistas came online. Well, what sort of numbers are we talking about here with some of the, the big fashionista influencers? Well, I mean, um, you're, you're talking about uh, a million plus sometimes it can go up to 3 million, but uh, it's no longer just the number of followers that matters. It's also the number of um, how far you've reached, the number of interactions with a particular post. So I think also as, as people become more aware that uh, a lot of the products are product placement and they're being paid to push them, they're less taken, let's say, with this fashionista phenomena as it normalizes and they're they're moving to towards people who are doing more are 
artistic or interesting interpretations of fashion uh, and makeup. Well, now you've touched upon this this idea that there are product placements and there's money to be made from that, but also regimes are also encouraging and bringing in influencers in this uh, this term image rehab. I'm wondering how successful that is, countries like Saudi Arabia doing image rehab. Uh, well, I think it's, uh, it's normal if you want to uh, approach a demographic that is younger. And as I told you, it's not just in the Gulf that the smartphone generation turns to YouTube stars and uh, online influencers for their news and for their political views and for their, uh, their ideas. They, they seem to trust them more than they trust traditional media. In fact, in one of the Arab social media reports, the ability to, to express and interact online was seen as one of the life values of young people in the, uh, in the Arab region. So if you want to target this demographic, that you're not going to uh, invite a traditional journalists. You're going to try to invite influencers because those are the people that will attract the, the young people. So if you want young people to look at you differently, if you want to offer a different narrative than the one that is in the traditional media, then you target influencers. So um, in this way, it makes sense to try and get international influencers from Brazil, uh, the USA, France, etc., to come to Saudi Arabia to see for themselves the new Saudi Arabia and to uh, provide their own commentary on what they've seen. And a lot of them have been, you know, very uh, impressed and moved by what they saw, but a lot of them were critical as well. Uh, I remember one of the female influencers spoke about harassment issues that, that were targeted towards women. So you can invite the influencers, but it doesn't mean that you will be able to control what they say 100%. So you, you, they will be reporting what they uh, are interested in reporting for the, for the most part. I understand that there are incentives to report uh, you know, uh, more positively, but at the end of the day, if they see something shocking, they will, they will speak about it. So I would say that it's a smart approach, but it's not risk-free. And as you say, the consumers are getting smarter about all of these things as well. Uh, are any influencers emerging who are, albeit cautiously, dealing with political issues like the GCC feud or rapprochement with Israel? Yes, you know, um, people on uh, online are very creative with uh, with how they discuss topics. So. I would say that with the GCC feud, many influencers uh, were taking very strong positions and speaking openly. And, and in a place like Kuwait, where the freedom of expression ceiling is relatively higher than other places in the region, people are, are, are still extremely critical of uh, the government uh, and uh, the, the performance of uh, certain figures in the government. Uh, but they are more cognizant of the fact that you can be fined up to 5,000 KD if you uh, make a derogatory personal remark. 
So it has changed the tone of the conversation. Uh, Discussions about normalization with Israel happen all the time. And it's very interesting that it's not just influencers and political commentators that, that are increasingly moving to the online space. The government has well, especially during COVID, when all of us have moved online, has pushed even older people to use online tools by sending them videos on WhatsApp and moving the communication daily to an online space and then following it with traditional media. You see this happening also with established newspapers, which are switching formats. Like uh, now we have Al-Qabas TV, and the idea is to capture a non-traditional audience and take these debates online because that's where uh, young people are and that's where influencers are going to pick it up and amplify the conversation. You mentioned uh, COVID-19. Do you think that the COVID-19 crisis will change the role of influencers and how they're viewed by young Arabs? You know, uh, in uh, in my consultancy, we've just completed a three-month training on political leadership and campaign management. And, and one of the debates that was ongoing with the participants was about this uh, very idea of are influencers as important now that we are all online and we are all doing live chats and, and we are all engaging in this online space that was really their kingdom be- before the crisis. Uh, and the, the reports back have been mixed. So a lot of people feel that because of the seriousness of the crisis and because you have doctors holding live sessions about their experiences going to restricted labor camps uh, and, and giving us an intimate view of their work protocols and the reality on the ground, people no longer want to uh, listen to uh, frivolous discussions on makeup or or just, you know, a, a silly entertainment, comic relief, if you like, provided by uh, some of the, the more popular social media influencers. And so people think that their hold on a captive audience is waning because there are so many others competing with them that are more compelling to view. But at the same time, it seems that they, they are still uh, a marketplace. So there are still products being placed with them. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this space evolves post-COVID, whenever that may be. Alanud, thank you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Dr. Alanud Al-Sharik, director of Ibtikar Strategic Consultancy. Her latest publication is called Love or Country, A Difficult Choice for Women in Kuwait, published by Arabian Humanities. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to arabdigest.org. And if you're a student or retired, we are now offering a new rate that amounts to a 70% discount. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.